Welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. The confusion stops here. Got a great show for you today, uh, pretty important topics, and a interview. We have a special guest today, Mr. Eric Seng of Tradivox, which is a Catholic nonprofit that has undertaken a, a rather impressive project that I think is going to uh, play an important role in the restoration of the church, and Mr. Singh will be here in the second half of our program to talk about it. Also, we're going to answer the question, can you be spiritual but not religious? And really, what is religion? And is that a question that, uh, that you know, most people can answer? I think a lot of people are saying they don't want to be religious without knowing what being religious really is. But uh, to begin, of course, we started this week with the sixth Sunday after Easter in the extraordinary form, also known as the Sunday in the octave of the Ascension. And that uh, Sunday's liturgy is a preparation for Pentecost Sunday, which is coming up uh, uh, in a, just a few days. And the epistle uh, for the sixth Sunday after Easter is taken from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Dearly beloved, be prudent and watch in prayers. But before all things, have a constant mutual charity amongst yourselves, for charity covereth a multitude of sins, using hospitality one towards another without murmuring. As every man hath received grace, ministering the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the words of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the power which uh, God administereth that in all things God may be honored through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's a very famous verse, charity covereth a multitude of sins. That's actually St. Peter quoting the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 12, uh, where the proverb contrasts the damaging effects of hate and the healing power of charity, which is love of neighbor. Uh, which builds up and restores relationships because it forgives and forgets the offenses of another. Also, the, the virtues recommended here are an excellent preparation for receiving the Holy Ghost uh, at Pentecost because nothing makes us more worthy of his grace than charity or uh, love of neighbor. Uh, nothing makes us more worthy of his grace than temperance, prayer, unity, hospitality towards our neighbors, all the things that were recommended in this passage of the Scripture. And we should really make a special effort to exercise these virtues and to pray fervently every day of this week for the assistance of the Holy Ghost in our own lives, you know, and also for those who are going to uh, be confirmed uh, this Pentecost. It's uh, traditional to pray the Novena, to the Holy Ghost in preparation for Pentecost. Now, if you didn't um, start it in time, uh, it would still be well, I think, from this point forward to pray daily the Veni Sancti Spiritus. All right, this, here's the English translation from the traditional Roman Missal. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant that by the same Spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. 
Amen. Uh, a version of this prayer is in virtually every Catholic prayer book ever printed, so it shouldn't be difficult to find also the uh, Come Holy Spirit prayer, naturally uh, something you can find online. So uh, in preparation for Pentecost, and especially um, for those uh, interceding for those who are going to be receiving the sacrament this coming Pentecost Sunday. Now the gospel for the sixth Sunday after Easter is taken Uh, from John's Gospel, chapter 15. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, When the paraclete cometh, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceedeth from the Father, he shall give testimony of me, and you shall give testimony, because you are with me from the beginning. These things have I spoken to you, that you may not be scandalized. They will put you out of the synagogues, Yea, the hour cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doth a service to God. And these things will they do to you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the hour shall come, you may remember that I told you. Thus far the words of the Holy Gospel. Now Jesus here wants to prepare the apostles for the coming persecution. Right? The the uh, death and resurrection of Christ was known to the apostles. It was known to uh, a wider uh, group of people, many of whom rejected um, that, uh, you know, the meaning of that, but it was unknown to the world uh, at large. And so uh, between the the hostile elements and and the unknown elements, there's going to be a great deal of persecution. You know, Jesus wants to let them know that the world's hatred is not something that's going unnoticed by God the Father and that the Holy Spirit is going to give them strength to be his witnesses and to face the the violent resistance to the gospel. It's still going on even today. And and he tells them this, he says, so that they will not be scandalized by their persecution. Because, he says, when the hour shall come, you may remember that I told you that it was coming. A scandal, that word comes from the Greek skandalon, which means stumbling block. Now, once upon a time, they, when they would slaughter the sheep in the ancient world, they would run them down a chute, singly, like one at a time. And at the end of the chute, there was a stone, a stumbling block, which was called a scandalon. And, you know, the, the front legs of the sheep would buckle and expose its throat, and it could be slaughtered kosher style. Now, in religious terms, a scandal, a stumbling block, is, is a frightful sin. Because that, that stumbling block, that scandal, is, is the occasion of other sins, countless other sins, uh, you know, and, and by which many thousands of souls might be carried to perdition. Scandal is, you know, it's about giving this, this bad example and other people following it. And, and that's something that, that, uh, that frustrates God's design for the salvation of souls. You know, and so in general, uh, scandal is given by, by saying or doing or, or neglecting to do something that becomes the occasion of sin for another. So scandal is uh, primarily a sin of those from whom we should expect a good example. So parents, for example, and uh, leaders of all kinds, politicians, teachers, clergy especially. Uh, you know, for example, parents give scandal when they set a bad example for their children. Right? So if they don't correct them when they do something wrong, or if they neglect to keep them from uh, what's bad, or to teach them what's good, uh, the same goes for teachers in general, I, I guess, and especially for our bishops, who are the primary teachers in their uh, uh, dioceses, uh, or in the case of the Pope, for the, for the universal church. 
And we have a tendency, I think, to conceive of clergy scandals, uh, you know, in, in the context of, you know, like the abuse scandals uh, or, or, you know, fiscal malfeasance, that kind of things. Uh, and, and those things, of course, are certainly scandalous. But bishops have a solemn duty to teach, govern, and sanctify the flock of Christ. And so when they neglect that duty, they give scandal, much less when they do things that are against that duty. You know, how many Catholics are there that fail to go to Mass regularly? And how often are they admonished by their bishop? You see, I'm sorry to say that it's the majority of Catholics that don't practice their faith. You know, and the fact that many of them don't even know that it's a serious sin to miss Mass on Sundays and Holy Days, that itself is a scandal, and I'm sorry, but given their uh, place of authority, the bishops are to blame. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to hold them to account, but just to, to point out the fact that scandal is a serious sin. Uh, schools, similarly, especially Catholic schools, uh, employers uh, and politicians give scandal uh, when, when um, you know, through bad uh, example or even through uh, bad uh, commands, you know, when, when they would keep their students or their employees or their constituents from divine service or... or the, you know, or, or just neglect to encourage them to practice their faith. Uh, when so-called Catholic politicians receive uh, a communion unworthily, you know, in, in the midst of, of a, a manifest sin, like the, the so-called pro-abortion Catholic politician, or, or when they actually order the commission of a sin, right? Like the, like the funding of, of Planned Parenthood, for, for example. Now, naturally, you and I, want to do everything in our power to avoid giving bad example to the people in our lives. Uh, but the fact that, uh, you know, some prominent Catholic who may be Catholic really in name only, the fact that, that he or she does something wrong, that doesn't mean that you and I can do the same. Nor does their bad example affect the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Catholic faith. But it's primarily through our example that we fulfill the words of our Lord in the gospel, you will give testimony of me. You know, there's an old story about a mother who took her little boy to the church. And as they're walking through the church, the sun is shining through the stained glass windows. And there's all these beams of colored light and the patterns on the floor. And the little boy points to the beam of light and says, what's that? And his mother points to the window and says, that's one of God's saints. And then later he says, what's, what's that? And, and she points to the window. That's one of the saints of God. And on and on through the, through the church, every time he, he sees the, the beams of light, the mother points to their source. She said, that's one of the saints of God. Now, later, that child, same kid, is in a catechism class, and teacher asks, what is a saint? And the little boy said, a saint is someone the light shines through. And that's you and I. We are meant to be uh, saints. We are meant to be the light of the world, So our, our Lord says. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He said in today's uh, Sunday's gospel, you shall give testimony of me. It is an important duty of all Catholics to give good examples. And there's a thousand ways that you can give good examples. There's a thousand ways that you can be someone the light shines through, and that's no nonsense. Okay, when we come back, going to tackle that question, can you be spiritual but not religious? We'll find out that and uh, a lot more when we return. No Nonsense Catholic here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. And Richie, if we have that queued up, I just want to let you know in the um, next segment, we're going to be interviewing uh, Mr. Aaron Seng of Tradivox. And I wanted to run a little uh, teaser trailer that they produced, um, and it's online. I want to have Richie run that for you now. Just give you a little taste of what we're going to be talking about later on the program. Here we go. What if we could go back, ask the saints and scholars of the past to teach us the faith today? Hi, I'm Aaron Sang, president of Tradivox, a Catholic nonprofit working to recover the official catechisms of Catholic bishops and councils from across the last millennium. And there are hundreds of these. Restoring and republishing them now is a beautiful new multi-volume series a cohesive, clear, and accessible guide to the enduring faith of our fathers across time and space. But it gets better. Tradivox is also working toward an interactive media platform unlike any other, a tool that will forever change how we're able to access, learn, and teach the Catholic faith handed down to us from the apostles. Our data set is the fixed magisterium of hundreds of Catholic bishops centuries past teaching the faith today, the faith as it's been held and taught and lived throughout the centuries and across the globe. We're giving voice to tradition, and we need your help. I invite the faithful of the entire world to support this historic effort as we seek to restore the perennial catechism of the Church. May God bless you. All right. For those of you who are uh, just listening to the audio and uh, weren't able to see that, the uh, the voice you heard at the end belonged to Bishop Athanasius Schneider, giving his endorsement to Tradivox. So very excited to talk with Aaron Seng in our next segment. And what we're going to talk about now actually relates uh, to this uh, topic of religious instruction, of catechism. Why do we need to study religion? What is religion? How is it that so many people these days say, um, oh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious? What is there, why is there an animus against religion? I think uh, really that attitude kind of stems from some of our uh, evangelical brethren who would say that Christianity is not about religion, but about a relationship. It's about being you know, friends with Jesus and not about a bunch of rules and regulations. But is that all religion is? Really, the question comes back to to the end of man and how we reach that end. You know, in creating us, God gave us the power and the right to choose our path in life. And we can either uh, choose the path of obedience to his commandments or the path of disobedience to his commandments. And that first path seems narrow and difficult and strewn with thorns is is the uh, common image, classic image. But there's a reward that comes in the end namely eternal happiness with God. Now, this other path is wide and pleasant and strewn with roses, but the end of it for the traveler is punishment, eternal punishment in hell, eternal separation from God. And even with that uh, clear-cut difference, this is still a, a struggle. This choice is hard for a great number of people, and it is a choice that we all must make. 
But we can be strengthened in the choice of the difficult path if we remember that we belong to God, that God loves us, that he will help us, that he's waiting for us at the end of the road, which is to say the end of the path of obedience. Now, our, it is our destiny. It is the end of man to go to God because we come from God and we belong entirely to God. You know, and reason tells us that someone made the universe, someone made us, and that someone is God. Because it's, it's quite self-evident that nothing can proceed from nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. So if there'd ever been a, a single moment where there was nothing, there'd still be nothing. And that tells us, you know, because we exist, because the universe exists, that tells us that someone who made it all exists also and has always existed. And that someone is God. Psalm 99.3 says, He made us and not uh, we ourselves. St. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, all things have been created through and unto him. And we know that, that God is a someone, you know, we, we are creatures of, uh, we're rational creatures that possess intellect and will. We're personal beings. And that means that the God who created us must also be a personal being, because just as it's self-evident that nothing comes from nothing, it's also evident that you can't give what you don't have. And so we know through the use of reason that God is a someone and not a something. But it follows that if God created the universe, that if God created uh, human beings, that he did so for some purpose. And the church is there to tell us that that purpose is to know him, love him, and serve him in this world and be happy with him forever in the next. Now, this is not, uh, you know, we don't apprehend this rationally. This comes from God's revelation that he made us for himself. And therefore, the end of man, as for all creation, is the glory of God to manifest the divine perfections, to proclaim the goodness and the majesty and the power of God. Uh, Proverbs 16.4 said, The Lord made all things for himself. And you know what? Whether you like it or not, you must manifest God's perfections, his dominion, his glory, because you do so by virtue of your very existence. Even our sins, in the end, will show forth God's infinite holiness and justice. But through glorifying God, we are destined to share his everlasting happiness in heaven. Uh, man was created chiefly for the life to come. And this present life is merely a preparation for eternal life. In this life, we are exiles. We are wanderers. We are pilgrims. Heaven is our true country. The home of God is our home. And it is there that God wants to share with us his unmeasured and unmeasurable happiness. For we have no permanent, here we have no permanent city, but we seek for the city that is to come. That's what St. Paul says in Hebrews 13. We belong to God. Since we are his creatures, we therefore have certain duties towards God that we must fulfill. And that is the purpose of religion. Religion teaches us what those duties are. If somebody said to you, what is religion? The answer is that religion primarily is a virtue. It is the virtue by which we give to God honor and service due to him alone as our creator, 
master and supreme Lord. It is by religion that we know, love, and serve God as he commands us to know, love, and serve him. It is by religion then that we fulfill the end for which we were made and thereby save our souls. So in order to practice the virtue of religion, first off, you have to believe. You have to believe all of the truths revealed by God. You know, it is in religion that we learn about God, we learn about his perfections, we learn something about his love for us, we learn what's right and what is wrong, and we learn what God commands us to do. We learn about the future that he has prepared for us. Okay, but, but knowing these things, believing these things, isn't enough. We must carry out in our lives what we learn about our duties to God and about his commands and his desires. Mere knowledge is not enough. That's not religion. And it will avail you nothing. And, and here's the question. Can you be spiritual but not religious? Yes, you can. I'll give you an example. The devil. The devil is a spirit. He is a pure spirit. He is a spiritual being, and he has knowledge. He knows more about uh, God than you do, but he has no religion because religion includes the service of God. And it is Satan's motto, non serviam, I will not serve. And there's the difference. Satan believes. The demons believe and tremble, Scripture tells us but they have no religion. They do not, they will not serve God. So religion is not a matter of feeling. Religion is a matter of will and a matter of action. And that's why our Lord says it in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. And of course, he's, uh, he's paying homage to his blessed mother with those words. Somebody said, blessed are the or the breast that nurse you, the womb that bore you, and the breast that nurse you. And he says, blessed, ra- rather blessed. Yea, rather, he says, yes, very. Blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. That was Mary's great, um, you know, great virtue. Uh, St. James also tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, if you, if you think you can be spiritual and not religious, you're right, but you're deceiving yourself, yourself if you think you can be spiritual but not religious and go to heaven, okay? It is necessary, it is absolutely necessary to practice religion, and God doesn't really give us a choice in that matter. It's our chief business in life. The business to which God commands us to attend is to go to him, and that depends on our practice of religion, It is by religion that we fulfill the purpose for which we were created. By believing what God has revealed, we know God. By knowing God, we cannot help but love him. And by practicing what we learn and obeying his commands, we serve him. And that's why John, you know, everybody says, you just have to love Jesus. You just got to love Jesus and he's your best friend. And that's true. But in John 14, 21, our Lord says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. We're not talking about the emotion that we call love. We're talking about the virtue of love, which is to will the good and to do it. And many people spend their lives in the pursuit of of money and and fame and and, uh, uh, pleasure. 
But these things never satisfy the heart of man. I mean, just look at the record of history and understand that these things do not fulfill the heart of man, even here on earth. And also, all those things must be left behind when the hour of death comes. So from whom do we learn to know, love, and serve God? I've said this is our religion. We must do these things. We must know him, and then we will love him, and then we must serve him. But, but how do you know how to lo- know, love, and serve God? And the answer is that we learn these things from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who teaches us through the Catholic Church. Right, The study in which Jesus Christ teaches us about God and how to know, love, and serve him, that is the study of religion. That is the most important study that anyone can undertake. This is why catechism is so important, why catechisms are so important, why catechesis is so important. And we're going to be talking about that with our special guest, Mr. Aaron Seng, when we return with lots more No-Nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, and we will be right back after these messages with Aaron Seng from Tredevox. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, and as promised, we have a special guest with us today, uh, Mr. Aaron Seng of Tradivox. Aaron, welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. Thank you, Matthew. Good to be here. Um, we actually ran in the last segment the video trailer that you uh, put up on Tradivox.com to give people a little taste of what we were going to be talking about. But uh, just to, to start us off, maybe you can tell us a little bit actually about yourself and then about uh, Tradivox and, and uh, what you're trying to accomplish. Sure thing. Well, it's uh, the Tradivox as an organization. We're a nonprofit. We were just incorporated 2019 um, as, as a nonprofit under His Excellency uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider's leadership, uh, as that video kind of indicates. But the project itself has uh, about a decade's uh, progenitation prior to that. So yeah, yeah. that's it's a. Uh, when I uh, so I had finished uh, a um, a master's in catechetics with uh, the intent to really have that kind of handing on of of the faith, uh, especially in its traditional understanding. Um, the standout witness to me of that uh, kind of project as a whole is the continued monuments of these catechisms. They're especially in study there, other scholars that I met in the field, there was kind of an awareness that this is really unknown, uh, even to Catholics today, that there are, you know, more than a few catechisms uh, mm-hmm. in the church's tradition. And so really the, um, the the visibility of the continuity of the faith in each of these individual texts is really what stood out uh, at that time. And so I started kind of networking with others that were in the field, um, mostly stateside, some abroad as well, uh, and this was kind of a long-term vision for a scholarly work, was to have mm-hmm. really a database of all of these texts kind of in one place. Uh, but as we kind of undertook it, we, uh, along the way, we had been reaching out, of course, to bishops uh, about the project. And uh, His Excellency Bishop Schneider, his his name kind of came up um, from across the pond, and uh, we reached out to him. He was very encouraging of the project, but also of making it uh, really framed to engage 
uh, even a popular audience, he, he was really um, encouraging of that to make it something that was, you know, not just kind of a, a, a scholarly tool and somewhat abstract, but really to try and engage a, a more kind of a broader uh, audience with it. So, so that really was when we incorporated again, uh, 2019 with that, that vision, uh, we wanted to publish as a cohesive series in hardback, some of the more outstanding catechisms in English, uh, but to have more of those, um, more than those, I should say in the electronic tool as well. Uh, and so as soon as we did that, we were just inundated <laughs> with feedback. Um, no doubt. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, his excellency had, had the right idea with that was we tried to, um, show that as something that could be usable, you know, by just Joe and Jane Catholic in the pew, uh, learn the faith and, and pass it on. So really with these texts, we're able to kind of sit at the feet of the masters, right. uh, the greatest catechists of church history, uh, and then be able to see also this, the continuity of doctrine, of course, across time and space, you know, our earliest texts that we're going to be pulling in the hardback series is from the mid 1200s and, uh, and all the way up to the 19, you know, the mid, mid 1900s. And so, really across that entire gamut. I mean, you can imagine the differences of, of cultures that are represented, the different time periods, and yet uh, the continuity of faith is there. So, That's correct. That's, it, well, and that's, that's the, I, kind of the, the question that comes up. I mean, I, I remember years ago, I'm a convert to the faith, but I can remember years ago a priest telling me that I should never read anything that was written uh, before Vatican II. <laughs> and, and I suggested to him, or I asked him if that would include sacred scripture, which he did not find amusing. Um, <laughs> but that's, I guess that's kind of devil's advocate. You know, uh, we have the catechism of the Catholic church. It's the latest, greatest, uh, it's getting revised again. It's as up to date as it can possibly be. You know, why do we, why do we need all these old catechisms? And, and from what I'm uh, hearing from you is that the answer to that, uh, or a large part of the answer to that is to show, um, how the, the, the faith has remained, uh, unchanged for, for such a long time. That you can, you know, I mean, I, I would perhaps go as far as to say that if this, if these catechisms represent the ordinary magisterium of the bishops that promulgated them, that what we're looking at, you know, in, in at least in the, the big uh, issues are essentially an infallible teaching. Yes, yeah, so I think you've raised a number of good points there. The, the first being absolutely the continuity point is the most appealing, I think, aspect of the project. Uh, and not only to Catholics, but to non-Catholics. I mean, this is what we're endeavoring to do is there are, there are plenty of tools, for instance, that will index uh, different writings of the church fathers and such. And, mm -hmm. and how many uh, Catholic converts, that is to say, you know, converts to the faith, uh, hold that out as the, as the ultimate reason. I mean, famous right. ones, of course, Newman, you know, <laughs> right, right. Uh, among others, that uh, they see this continuity in the fathers and then recognize that same doctrine reflected in the church. And and um, and that becomes the great kind of motive of credibility for them. But so imagine that in in an instant, in a snapshot. I mean, that's that's really the idea behind the catechism as a genre was to have this very concise distillation of all of the you know all of this content. That's that's a uh, you can tell anybody. Well, just go look it up in the fathers, you know. But right. But to be able to do that um, <laughs> at a glance is really the idea behind the catechism as a genre as a whole. And so. If, if the catechisms are like phone books, you know, of, of doctrine or like Google, you know, in their time, uh, that's really all we're doing here is, is trying to have a, a compendium of compendia such that you can see you know, what's um, angels or, or the Eucharist or, you know, pick your doctrine 
and then just immediately, you know, curated here, here, that here is that teaching mm-hmm. in all of these little kind of nuggets, as it were, uh, across the universal magisterium. I mean, you raised that theological category. That's an important one, too. And all of the dogmatic theologians that speak about uh, the, the category of universal ordinary magisterium, which is an organ of infallibility, as you mm-hmm. say, um, they, they will all use the example when pressed. Uh, well, what would be an expression of, you know, the bishop's ordinary magisterium? Uh, catechism is is constantly one that's raised, is yeah. uh, the, the official promulgation of a catechetical text by order of the bishop or a group of bishops. And so being able, again, to have those kind of side by side across time and space does do that for us. Mm-hmm. That's great. I You guys were kind enough to uh, send me a review copy of the third volume of uh, your hardbound series uh, on Tradivacs, which are three catechisms from Bishop Richard Challoner. And of course, I think a lot of our listeners will say that name sounds familiar, as he was the uh, the bishop who did the 18th century revision of the Douay-Rheims Bible, which then became the text for the 1899 uh, edition, you know, that Americans are familiar with. You know, when U.S. Catholics talk about the Douay-Rheims, that's what they're talking about. And it was just, it was really interesting to, to see that his third entry was essentially um, a work of apologetics, and that even within the context of, of his uh, catechism, the, uh, which is, let's see, the middle one is called uh, The Catholic Christian Instructed, that there, of course, now he's, a, you know, he's an English bishop from the time when Anglicanism was uh, somewhat more hostile towards Catholicism, and so you know, I, I can understand his sort of uh, you know, apologetic approach. But um, I was really edified by the remarks that he had to make about the use of Latin uh, generally and the use of Latin in the Mass in particular and his approach to assisting at Mass. These are all things that I think, you know, that you would expect to find on a, you know, the, the blog of a 21st century, uh, you know, uh, traditional Catholic. And, and, it's, and it's just, it's, it's really, uh, I mean, I was really I kind of fascinated by that and also by the fact that he would give these kind of very plain answers, and you can see where the the penny catechisms and Baltimore catechisms of later time are, are you know influenced by that approach. Also, that um, and I, this is just I'm sorry I'm rambling, but uh, it's such a large uh, topic that the the other thing was that um, the word uh, catechesis or catechism comes from a Greek word that means echo, right? I think that's where we get our question answer idea, but it's also I thought it, uh, this, these teachings kind of echo throughout the centuries. And it's really evident when you can pick up something from the 18th century that reads very much like something from the uh, you know, 19th century that reads very much like something from you know, the, the 13th century catechetical instructions of Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> you know? And it, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's exciting for me to think that somebody is actually trying to approach something akin to a... a, a traditional Catholic Google in regard to doctrine. Now that's a daunting task because there is, you know, there's such a wealth of material. Before we, uh, uh, you know, go into our next question, I want to be sure that you tell people how they can support this work because I know it's, it's going to take a long time and it's not going to be cheap. So, so, so what can we do to, to help Tradivox? I appreciate that. All all of our uh, content itself. And then, um, Info on supporting the, the nonprofit is all at our website. So that's just tradivox.com, T-R-A-D-I-V-O-X.com. Um, 
they can find more either about the project, about the process. Uh, and then, of course, the hardbacks are there as well. And that's ultimately where we'll park kind of the, uh, the, the search engine portion of it as well, mm-hmm. which we, we very much want to make as, as open source as possible for the, for the same reason that these texts are what they are. I mean, they are monuments to faith uh, enduring. And I, I, I can't help but, you know, you say um, how, how remarkable the continuity is from these different places. And I, I can't tell you how much we hear that from <laughs> in broken English. I mean, from, you know, people all over the world, you know, they learn about the project and, uh, and maybe they get a volume or two or, or they want to donate to us and, and they'll send in a comment like that. I mean, priests as well, that'll just say, I, I could have just read this in my, in my bulletin, you know, yesterday, mm-hmm. that, that it is so uh, pertinent. And of course, the, the faith is always the same, the faith as such. And I, uh, I remember one, there was one, uh, one of our interlocutors that asked us about um, the, the kind of perpetual relevance, you know, of, of these texts, because everyone achieves a kind of instant classic status, you know, right. if, if it's, if it's uh, has sound doctrine in it, uh, formerly, it would be just reprinted for centuries. I mean, many of these texts uh, have, are, they're going in their 20th, 30th, 80th edition, uh, and, and we're just reprinting them again, you know. And so to see this, uh, this kind of perpetual relevance portion, and then to have somebody ask, well, what's, what's, the, you know, what's the point of, of having any catechism, you know, yeah. that's, uh, that's old? And, and uh, you say, well, take it up with, let's say, Pope Benedict XVI, who was asked the same question uh, when they you know, redid the redo of, I can't remember which edition it was, right. of the, the compendium. And it said, you know, Catechism of Pius X is always a favorite. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being with us. I'm sorry that the time has elapsed so quickly. Love to have you back if we have the opportunity. Pradivox.com. Support them if you can. Great project. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Terrific interview with uh, Aaron Singh. Boy, if uh, I want to reiterate, if you have the opportunity or you have the means to uh, help with that Tradivox project, if you can support them financially, by all means do. Tradivox.com, they're doing an incredible work. Uh, hopefully we can have him back and, uh, and go a little more in depth on some of the texts themselves. Really terrific. Um, and while we're on the topic... Uh, we've been talking about the virtue of religion. We've been talking about the study <clears throat> of religion, which, of course, is all about discovering how to know, love, and serve God in this world and be able to be happy with him forever in the next. And, you know, uh, the, the chief truths of the church are to be found, as we know, in the Apostles' Creed. And, you know, tradition tells us that before the Apostles went their separate ways, that they gathered in Jerusalem at uh, the first council of the church, and they decided to put down in a creedal statement their principal doctrines so that the teaching of the church could be uniform everywhere it was preached. That was the interesting thing that Mr. Sang brought up in regard to these catechisms, is the continuity, how they teach the same things in the same way. And he was talking about catechisms that are going into their you know 30th, 50th, 80th editions you know, over, over centuries and centuries keep being reprinted. And the reason they have such a long shelf life is because there's no expiration date on the truth. And, uh, and this goes all the way back to apostolic times and uh, the articles of faith that we call the Apostles' Creed. It was actually formulated by the apostles 
and uh, um, you know it's been it's been a part of this creedal statement is, is just always been around and and uh, you know at mass of course we recite the Nicene Creed which is a a, a version of the um, Apostles Creed that's been you know had additions made to it um, but you know in the 19th century they actually found the smoking gun they found a, um, a text of the Didache which is like kind of the earliest catechism, if you will, it goes all the way back to the first century. And right there is the Apostles' Creed. So we know for sure that this is, uh, you know, the, the tradition has been uh, corroborated. And it is, um, you know, it was meant to put into action, to put into fruition the command of our Lord that he gave to the apostles before the ascension, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so, the chief truths about the Catholic Church, about the Catholic faith, are in the Apostles' Creed. And it's a, a summary uh, of our belief. begins with the word credo. That's why it's called the creed, credo, which is Latin for I believe, which is to say that I accept or hold true something on the word of another. So, so I believe in relation to the Apostles' Creed means that I assent to everything that's contained in it, that, that I believe it, exactly as if I had seen those truths with my own eyes. I believe in it on the authority of the Word of God who can neither deceive nor be deceived. And it's called the Apostles' Creed because it was uh, composed by the Apostles. Um, it's repeated at baptism as a declaration of faith. In ancient times, it was required before baptism as a sign of, of you know, your fitness to be received into the Church. This coming Pentecost Sunday, the uh, Catholics who are going to receive this sacrament of confirmation will be called upon to, uh, you know, make a, uh, a profession of faith. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is what will be used as the basis for that, uh, for that expression of their faith. And it's come down to us intact, as I said, from the, from the ancient world, with the exception of clauses that were added later by the Church and, uh, to uh, counteract various heresies. And so, you know, we, we get the, the, the Nicene Creed, which is said at Mass— which was uh, um, had these various um, official editions drawn up at the Council of Nicaea, hence Nicene, uh, but also ratified at the Council of Constantinople. It is actually, its, its official title is the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed, which no doubt is why we refer to it as the Nicene Creed. Um, but uh, also we have the Athanasian Creed, which is said uh, in the Divine Office, the traditional Divine Office for Sunday. Uh, okay, so the articles of the creed, um, as you, I hope, know, are divided into 12 different articles, uh, all of which are absolutely necessary to the faith. If one uh, article was omitted or changed, it would, the, the structure would fall apart. The faith would be uh, destroyed. And, of course, it's symbolic, I think, to divide it into 12 articles because of the 12 apostles. In fact, I have an old catechism, speaking of old catechisms, um, where each article of the Apostles' Creed uh, is identified with a specific apostle. And now I don't know, uh, I think that's a small-t tradition, but it uh, cements in the mind that uh, this is of apostolic origin. So, number one, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Number two, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Number three, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Number four, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. A little note on number four, Pontius Pilate would be lost 
uh, in the on the dustbin of history. I think if it weren't for the Catholic Church, that's you know the only reason anybody knows the name of the governor of Judea in the first century uh, is because of the creed, uh, and of course the part that he played in uh, the Passion of Our Lord. Number five, he that is Christ descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. Number six, he ascended into heaven, sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Number seven, from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Number eight, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Number nine, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Number 10, the forgiveness of sins. Eleven, the resurrection of the body. And twelve, and life everlasting. Amen. The twelve articles that are contained in the Creed um, really contain the mystery of the Blessed Trinity. Uh, you know, broken down for us. And uh, the one God and three distinct and divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So you've got the three distinct parts of the creed. The first part uh, treats of God the Father and creation. The second part treats of God the Son and our redemption. And the third part treats of God the Holy Ghost and our sanctification. So this is an act of religion. To recite the creed is an act of faith and one of the most ancient. Uh, The Christian faith, of course, is a a supernatural gift um, by which God enables us through his grace to believe what, uh, you know, very firmly whatever he has revealed and to believe it on the testimony of his word. And of course, we believe in a lot of truths uh, uh, which we uh, cannot grasp with our understanding but we believe it on the, the authority of God's word, on the trustfulness of his word. You know, we believe in God even though we can't see God. We believe in the Trinity, even though how there is one God in three persons is frankly beyond uh, human comprehension. And that's why St. Paul tells us in Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But it's important to remember that faith does not require us to believe anything that is contrary to reason. The Catholic faith makes sense. That's the reason this program is called No-Nonsense Catholic. When we believe what we cannot perceive or what we cannot fully comprehend with our, with our uh, human intellect, we still are acting according to reason because our reason tells us that God cannot err. God cannot lie. God cannot uh, uh, try and fool us, right? God can neither deceive nor be deceived, and that is why we put our trust in his word. You know, and this is true in, in the natural world as well. That, you know, there's lots of things that, that we believe in that we can't see, but that we experience. You know, you can't see the wind, but you can see uh, the effects of the wind. Or you can't see a sound wave, but, but, uh, but you can hear, right? And, and, uh, and we believe these things on the basis of scientists who have made it a study. Uh, to to uh, try and understand and explain these things. So again, we are acting within reason there, but how much more reasonable to believe in the testimony of God who can't make a mistake, whereas science can and, and often has. Um, and there is a great reward in heaven that awaits those who believe and who act, as we talked about in an earlier segment, and for those who suffer persecution or who are martyred for the faith, or for some Christian virtue. You know, the number of martyrs that have died for the, recognized martyrs have died for the Catholic faith is something like 16 million. That's a lot of, that's a, you know, that's a lot of witnesses. That's what the word martyr actually means. 
is, is a witness. All the apostles, of course, suffered persecution. All except St. John uh, died as martyrs for the faith. St. John the Baptist, remember, was, was uh, beheaded because he censured Herod for violating the law of marriage. St. John uh, Nepomucene was put to death because he refused to violate the seal of confession. Uh, St. Uh, Sir Thomas More was martyred, was beheaded, because he wouldn't bend to the divorce of uh, Henry VIII and his proclamation, the act of parliament that made him, quote-unquote, head of the church in England. This is what uh, our Lord says in Matthew ten thirty-two: Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. And on the, on the other side of this coin, and the final point that I'm going to make uh, on this program today is that, yes, you can be spiritual and not religious. Like I said, the devil is spiritual. He's a pure spirit, but he has no religion because religion isn't just about knowing God, but it's about loving God and serving him because love, it's in this context, not just an emotion, but the uh, theological virtue of love, which is to do, to will and do the good. And uh, uh, it is neglect of the study of the truths of our religion, and it is the crisis of catechesis that is frequently the cause of, uh, of lukewarmness and bad life, and finally uh, apostasy, even final impenitence um, in our world today. And so it's up to you and I, no, I'm sorry, it's up to you and me to be zealous in the study of Christian doctrine in the study of catechism, in the study of the virtue of religion, to listen to sermons, uh, you know, to listen to the homily. When your uh, parish has a mission preacher, come and, and listen to the mission. Go on retreat. Do, uh, you know, take the extra step. Learn the catechism. Teach it to your children and, uh, and help to spread the faith. And if you have any doubts right? There's, there's lots of places to consult. There's, there's never been a time in the history of history when there's more good of information about Catholicism more readily available than right now, okay? And we cannot uh, uh, voluntarily neglect the means that uh, God has given us to know, love, and serve Him and expect to spend eternity with Him in heaven, which, of course, is precisely what we're after, and that is no nonsense. Okay, great to have you along with us today. I want to thank our special guest, Aaron Seng, Tradivox.com. Also, you can go there and see all of the many endorsements, not only uh, our, uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, but uh, Cardinal Pell, Cardinal Burke, uh, our own Bishop Joseph Strickland, all have given ringing endorsements to uh, the Tradivox Project and to the importance of ongoing and faithful catechesis in the lives of Catholics today. That's no nonsense. See you next time. And until then, may God richly bless you and your family.